Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So, why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. Welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I am delighted to have a wonderful guest, someone I've been really looking forward to speaking to for a while. And she is based in probably a sunnier version of where I am in California. And it is Miriam Saunders. Now, Miriam is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She is a trauma, mindfulness and ADHD expert, a co-founder of A Novel Mind, and she has got three books already written and two coming out. I can't wait to talk to you about all of this, but there's lots of things that we could start on. But I know that's something that you talk about a lot and you help a lot of families with is divorce. And I know we're going straight in for the jugular right at the beginning of the conversation. But I think it is important to recognise how maybe prevalent divorce is when there's ADHD in the family is that something that you see? And maybe we could just have a little chat about that from, you know, from the beginning. Yes. Well, first, thank you so much for inviting me uh, here and giving me an opportunity to speak with your audience. Um, I work primarily with parents uh, these days. And yes, unfortunately, I do see that oftentimes the pressure of having a child with unique um, and sometimes difficult needs puts a stress on a marriage to the brink where it winds up that the couple decides to separate. And I don't know that they would necessarily point to their child as the reason that it's happening, but it is just sometimes that straw on the camel's back that might divide an already stressful relationship. And if it doesn't push a couple to that edge, oftentimes what I see are at least two parents that um, are having a struggle coming together and parenting in the same way. And ADHD can be a very divisive topic, uh, even within one family where perhaps one parent will want to be more authoritarian and, um, and, and almost break the child like you'd break a horse. You know, I, if I could just be stricter, this child will try harder, this child will behave better, they just need to respect me. And then the other parent has a softer, maybe almost more indulging approach to a certain degree, sometimes because they feel they need to protect the child from the other parent. So that's a really, really common dynamic that I see when working with parents. 
Yeah, I mean, I can resonate with so much of this. I mean, I was telling you just before that I come from divorced parents and I've got brothers with ADHD. Um, I'm sandwiched in between. I was diagnosed only a year ago. I mean, it feels like forever. Um, and I've got an ADHD child. And so I kind of feel like I can see it now from lots of different angles. And I, even as a child, I sensed that having or parenting um with ADHD children was really hard work. I could see that. And I know I felt like I was expected to understand that from a very young age that it's, you know, Kate, you need to be quiet and just let us deal with your brothers because they're much more difficult than you. And I'm not criticizing them. And, and I have a huge amount of empathy for my parents, definitely now as a, as a mother myself, that it's really not easy at all. And, you know, I could see from a very young age, the pressure that it put on and exactly what you said, the difference in parenting styles of my mum probably wanting to be the softer version and my dad probably back in the 80s, early 90s, ADHD was really not understood. It just wasn't, you know, it was don't give them E-numbers, don't give them preservatives, stop with the sugar and that was like it. <laughs> there wasn't genetic, it wasn't looking at them as parents, it, there was so much that I guess we're now in 2022 and you know we're only just uncovering all these things about lifestyle and well-being and intervention and therapy and all the different ways that we can come together as a family and I know that you work with something called parent behavior therapy and to be honest you know I don't know much about this and I wonder now looking back at my family growing up I wonder if this would have been something helpful who knows what is parent behavior therapy? Parent behavior therapy is primarily working with the parents to give them the skills in order to impact the dynamic in their relationship with the child. So because ADHD is um, a deficit in executive functioning and it is a, a neurodevelopmental disorder, meaning it is a difference in the child's brain, right? It's not something that the child could wake up and say, oh, you told me to do this differently and therefore I will do it differently. They can't necessarily help the way their brain is reacting to certain situations or not reacting. And so if you sit a child with a therapist once a week to work on things like impulse control or emotional regulation, when that child is then generalized, you know, put in their real life, the chances of them being able to access the skills they used or learned with that therapist during that one hour, three days ago, is so unlikely. So you instead work with the parent and you educate the parent on the neuroscience of ADHD and why their child is behaving a certain way and what environmental changes can they make in their home so that their child perhaps doesn't react in the way that they typically react? How can they help organize their child better? Um, how can they respond when their child does something in a more empathetic way so that the child isn't shamed for doing something that they couldn't control? So it's a combination of preventative parenting and a slightly more empathetic way of responding, which hopefully keeps the family dynamic a little more peaceful and a little more joyful. And because the parent has access to their child 24 seven, you know, for the most part, they can impact their child's behavior far more deeply 
than say a therapist one hour a week. So that's why that that's why you might do parent behavior therapy for yeah. ADHD. I'm just interrupting this podcast to say a huge thank you for helping me get on the new and noteworthy section on Apple Podcasts this week. I'm honestly blown away by the news, but it does show how needed this content and these conversations really are. And if you have been drawn to this podcast, you may not yet be diagnosed, but I have a strong inclination that you do indeed have ADHD. And if that's the case, I've got something you're really going to find helpful. I've created a free nine-step guide to support you before during and after your diagnosis. So if you simply don't know where to begin practically and emotionally, I've got your back. This is a brilliant resource for anyone needing more guidance in a complex area. I've really given you all my best tips, including books to read and other podcasts to listen to. So simply head to my website, which is coachingbykate.me.uk, and you'll find it right there on the homepage or head to the show notes where I've also included it. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast so you can automatically get each new episode every week. Now let's get back to the show. I know that you use a lot of um, mindfulness, or you teach mindfulness. How does that blend with your parenting behavior? Do you, do you work with mindfulness for the child or for the adult? For the adult, yeah. I mean, it would be fantastic to also be able to bring that awareness to, to children. It's a little more difficult um, because if they had the ability to be that self-aware in the moment, then they might not have those impulsive behaviors, right? But it's all about that pause before acting uh, that we're working to expand with children. Adults have slightly more self-awareness and a lot of that self-awareness comes with paying attention to your body. So what when I'm stressed, where do I typically feel it? You know, a lot of people feel it in their neck or their stomach or their head. Um, knowing yourself enough to understand like, oh, my stomach is tensing. That's a first sign. What do I need to do right now before I act in a way that I might regret? And typically it's breathing deeply into wherever that place is because by slowing our breath, we're signaling to our nervous system that we're not in danger. Everything's okay. There's no reason to be stressed. We can calm down. And it allows our higher level thinking part of our brain to come back online and react in a more thoughtful way. Um, So if we're speaking to women with ADHD who have children with ADHD, um, then it's often incorporating a practice of, for example, when you wake up in the morning, um, taking a few minutes before you just launch right into grabbing your cup of coffee and waking the kids up and getting that whole chaos of the morning going um, to check in with yourself, center your body, breathe, and um, set your intentions for how you want to be in the morning. I want to be more calm. I'd like to uh, react to my children with a sense of humor instead of frustration. And think about what is coming in the next 15 minutes you know what's coming. You wake your children up every day. Are they usually grouchy? You know, do you have to push them five times before they get out of bed? Are they going to refuse to eat? Are you going to have to ask them 10 times to get dressed? You know that's coming because it comes every morning. So how can you move through those 15 minutes with grace and calm 
and a modeling of how you want your child to be, right? So if you're annoyed and frustrated and, and screaming, well, you're setting the stage likely that your child might be as tense and irritated as you are in response. Um, That's really powerful. Sorry, I just wanted to say that it's that modeling, isn't it? Because if we're not, like you say, setting the stage, then we can't, you know, shout at them for reacting badly to us. And it's just this cycle, isn't it? That's that just breeds more and more chaos and anger and shouting in the house, which no one wants. Yes. Then at the end of the day, right, when you know the children are coming home from school, it's the same sort of giving yourself a moment to pause and reflect on the transition you're about to make. You're about to go from whatever you were doing with work or your alone time to having to now manage this herd of cats that's about to come into your home and probably not respond in the way that you're hopeful. I don't know if it's just women with ADHD or all people, but I I feel like we're eternally optimistic that somehow we think today's gonna be different. Today, my children are gonna be angels and it's all going to work the way it works for Betty down the street, whose children are perfect. And invariably we get the same thing we got yesterday because we're reacting the same way we reacted yesterday. And our children have ADHD and they, they can't really just suddenly be different. So it's a, again, a breathing and a, a setting in the intention for, all right, I'm pretty sure I know how this afternoon is going to go. How do I want to move through this? What can I put in place so that it might go a little bit better? Yeah. What you said just earlier about um, noticing the feelings in your body. That's been for me like the one of the biggest game changers. I'm an EFT practitioner and that's always been something that I go to straight away is like the feeling in your body. And I know that I'm so finely tuned into those feelings in my body and my nervous system because I can feel it flare up straight away. And something little like the first thing you do when you wake up and you check your phone and all, and you notice that you've got 15 WhatsApp messages and Instagrams going off and mail and all of that, my nervous system just goes whoosh, like switches on to like high drive, like on high alert. And that has a direct impact exactly on our morning, you know, just for that motion of checking my phone before I do anything. So I've tried now and it doesn't happen every morning. It really doesn't. But I try for it to happen that I don't check my phone. And I actually do a little bit of preventative tapping or breathing. So the first thing I do when I wake up is just do three or four minutes of breath work and tapping at the same time. So it's almost like it's balancing my nervous system before it gets out of whack. Yes. found that really, really helpful. And what's funny is that my I've got two teenagers and I've got two younger kids. So my teenagers are those kids where thankfully my husband's an early bird and he gets my older kids up and he does the kind of up, down, up, down, getting them out of bed. And then my little one's already awake and they come into my bedroom and they see me doing my breath work and my tapping. And they kind of just know now, they just walk out the room. Now, mummy's doing a funny tapping, (laughs) mummy's doing a breathing, and they just kind of see it. And I'm not hiding it from them because, you know, at least one of them's got ADHD. And I'd be very surprised if the other one doesn't have something, you know, with that. So I want them to see how important it is to regulate your nervous system, especially as a woman with ADHD. I see that one of the biggest things that my clients come to me is sort of emotional regulation nervous system, feeling calm, feeling balanced, wanting to feel like they are in control of their emotions. 
And for me, if they want to think that I'm a bit crazy, but they'll remember, I hope, when they're teenagers, oh, I remember when mum used to do this thing, maybe, you know, now I'm ready to hear it. Now they're not, but maybe one day they will and something will just stick. I think what we could model here is one day our kids are going to be adults as well and parents and they're going to remember what we did in the morning. And if we screamed or actually mum was calm, maybe I can try and, you know, do that. Or actually I want to change the way I was parented. Maybe I can try and, you know, and I hope that the more things like mindfulness and meditation and breath work are just coming into the mainstream, you know, it's not like weird hippy dippy stuff like it was 20 years ago. That this no. is coping mechanisms. This is like building resilience. And I hope that this is just going to be you know, a framework for ADHD moving forwards. Yes. And it's very exciting because now there are a lot of studies behind the neuroscience of mindfulness. So it isn't just this hippy dippy, oh, you know, breathe and sit in the lotus position that people might have thought it was. And it's exciting to see the actual neuroscience behind how mindfulness impacts your brain and body. just interrupting this podcast to give a shout out to my sponsors. So I've always been a fan of protecting and supporting my own health with vitamins and supplements. And now as a busy mum of four kids, I try to help them as much as possible with their nutritional support. And now that I'm understanding ADHD more and more, I'm a real firm believer that as vital as it is to look after our physical health, we must also support our brain and emotional well-being as well. And for that reason, I've been taking omega-3 and 6 supplements for many years, which have undoubtedly supported my mood regulation and emotional well-being. And I've now been giving Equizin for my own children for several years now. They are a permanent fixture in our cereal cupboard to give them just before school. So Equizin are fatty acid specialists with a range of products to support brain function. Backed by clinical studies, Equizin supplements are a precise blend of omega-3, EPA and DHA, which contributes to the maintenance of normal brain function and are made from fish oil and omega-6 GLA from primrose oil. Like me, you may have some fussy eaters in the house. So now that I give my kids Equizin, I feel much more relaxed knowing they're getting these essential fatty acids in capsule form. Equizin's range of supplements are suitable for all members of the family, as well as for pregnancy and babies, and contain a balanced formula to really help get the natural benefits of fish oils without that fishy taste. My two youngest kids are super fussy and take the strawberry flavoured shoes every morning without any drama. Unbelievable. So to get discounted Equizin products for all the family, head to boots.com, that's boots.com, and enter the discount code KATE15, that's K-A-T-E-1-5, KATE15, to get 15% off all Equizin supplements. And for more information about Equizin, and all the products they've got, head to their website and learn how they can support you and your ADHD journey. Have you got any CBD oil fans out there or just curious to try a trusted CBD oil brand? Well, look no further. Our Remedy is a great new brand that I've recently come across and instantly love. Our Remedy is an award-winning wellness brand aimed at women's sleep, 
periods, stress and anxiety. So pretty much our lives, right? Our remedy is made of unique blends of CBD, adaptogens and essential oils. Everything is organic, cruelty-free and vegan and all their products are made here in the UK and packaged using eco-friendly materials, making it sustainable for you and the planet. So not only do they do that, but they also donate to charities for each product they sell. How great is that? I love the Pretty Peaceful CBD, which I've been taking at night to help me sleep. And is a mix of geranium oil, which is great for anxiety, lavender oil, which helps with sleep, and orange oil, which makes it taste really nice. And they've got another CBD oil mix, which is called, wait for it, Moon Swings, which is mixed with clary sage for period cramps and hormones. I swear by clary sage, one of my all-time favourite oils, and mint to help it taste good. So if you are looking for something more natural to help you with sleep and hormones and want to make a switch to something you can take every day without any unpleasant side effects, our remedy is really worth trying. Within a week, I felt the difference. It was more of just an underlying daily calm that I noticed. So if you're ready to make a change to your lifestyle, I'd highly recommend giving Our Remedy CBD oils a try. Head to their website, which is ourremedy.co.uk. That's ourremedy, O-U-R-R-E-M-E-D-Y.co.uk. And to get £10 off your first order, enter the code ADHDPOD10. That's ADHDPOD with a 10, one O, and you'll get that discount. And now back to the show. How would you work typically with mindfulness and um, parents? And and what would you, I mean, what would you recommend if someone's listening now and thinks, you know what, I could do with having a calmer morning. I could do with coming, you know, in the afternoon and things aren't frenzied and fraught until my kids go to bed. Um, I know that you mentioned that, that technique of sort of just checking in with your body, but where would someone start if, you know, mindfulness has not even ever been looked at for them? I actually like to start outside of yourself because I think that if you're talking about somebody who has children with ADHD and they're they're facing that chaotic morning or their family life is frustrating or maybe they're in the middle of a divorce because of it, I think it's helpful to first try to understand that your child's difficult behaviors are almost always the result of some kind of unmet need and they're expressing it in a really dysfunctional way. So what you see as disrespectful behavior or willful defiance um, or annoying, something that's annoying is actually your child's way of communicating with you something that they can't otherwise express. So for example, if you say, I need you to go to your room and put on your shoes, grab your backpack, meet me by the door in five minutes, which is a very, you know, that's not an unreasonable request. And 10 minutes go by. And when you find your child, he's in the middle of his room with no shoes on playing with his toys on the floor. I think we've probably all been there. And you scream like, oh my gosh, we're going to be late. What are you doing? Why aren't you listening to me? Well, it's because your child's brain absolutely forgot what they were supposed to do by the time they got to their room and got completely distracted because that's the kind of brain that your child has. So what we thought was a reasonable request is actually an unreasonable request. And your child needed a lot more scaffolding 
perhaps the instructions broken down into one step instructions. Maybe you needed to actually go to your child's room with your child and help him put on his shoes and show him all of the steps of what he needed to do because your child's just not ready to do those three steps on their own. So having that understanding of why your morning is going awry can uh, help you to build compassion for your child's experience. And if we can engage with our children with compassion instead of frustration and annoyance, then right there, the entire system shifts. Mm, and, yeah. and then you have hopefully entered your morning having done that brief mindfulness practice where you're checking, you're waking up in the morning and you're checking in with your body like you do. Do I have aches and pains? Did I get a good night's sleep? Am I feeling grumpy or am I feeling alert and excited to start my day? What's going on with me? Instead of just going through your morning on autopilot. For some people, it simply having that conversation with themselves can work. For other people, maybe they need a journaling practice where they take five minutes and intentionally write down how they're feeling and how they want their day to be. What are their certain explicit goals that you have for the day? And they could be tedious things like I have to go to Target or they could be, you know, implicit goals of just how you want to move through the world. Today, I really want to practice mindfulness and be calm and notice my small moments while I'm in them rather than just moving through my day on autopilot or having maybe a meditation practice. There are a lot of terrific apps out there now, some of them free. I love Insight Timer, um, where if you're not the type of person that can sit there and try to have a clear mind for 15 minutes, which those of us with ADHD probably like scream running in the opposite direction at the thought of having to sit and do nothing for 15 minutes. Um, but there are guided meditations, right? And you can search on gratitude and you can listen to somebody instruct you on how to think and shape your day with a going through it, feeling gratitude for your day. Those would be my quick tips for starting your day with mindfulness. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Um, and I know you mentioned compassion and I'm a huge believer that, you know, self-compassion is one of those things that really can get you through a tough day because if you are an ADHD parent, parenting an ADHD child, it's hard work. It's not easy. Thankfully, actually, my daughter, she's actually very well behaved and we've now sort of managed to find a pattern. But I know I've got friends who've got sons with ADHD and it's really, really hard work sort of behavior wise, energy wise, all these different things. And especially if you're not getting the sleep you want, you're working, there's pressure, you're a single parent. There's so many things that are pushing you down. And then you get to the end of the day and you think, well, all I've done is scream. My kids have eaten frozen food. No one's listened to me. No one cares. And it's very easy just to sit in a bit of a hole of despair and just bringing a bit of an awareness of, of self-compassion of, you know, doing, I'm doing the best I can. And I know it's not easy. And I know that I'm trying to be the best parent and all these things that we can vocalize. I find actually for me, self-talking is really helpful. And it sounds a bit weird, but actually sometimes just speaking out loud to myself, 
allows me to process my emotions probably just as well as writing things down just to make that awareness it's like okay well no one else is saying it to me so I'm just going to say it to myself you're doing the best you can Kate I know it's not easy (laughs) from a sort of a professional psychological background I've heard that self-talk and speaking out loud to yourself is very helpful No, it absolutely (laughs) is. There's um, an intervention in gestalt therapy called empty chair, where you actually physically sit across from an empty chair and have a conversation with either a part of yourself or maybe someone else that you're in conflict with. And you work through that and and you actually switch chairs. Like you get up and then you go sit in the other chair and then you respond. And it's remarkable because it allows your brain to open up in a different way and see a different perspective. So exactly what you said before, where you might be sitting in this place of like, I'm terrible. I'm a failure. Betty's a great parent. I'm not. Her kids are perfect. Mine aren't. And, but what you did was reframe all of those thoughts I'm doing the best that I can, given the circumstances. I have ADHD. My children have ADHD. This was a hard day for us. And giving yourself some compassion, which is so, so important. As moms, typically, you know, it's all about everyone else first. And as long as everyone else's needs are met, then I can go to bed and crash and not, you know, and wake up the next morning. But we often don't pause to check in with ourselves and our own needs. And are there ways that you can carve out even some small moments in the day, even if it's just making yourself a cup of tea and looking out the window and just really appreciating that as a moment for yourself um, can make a little bit of difference in your day. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that level of compassion and awareness, especially if, you know, you are a single parent or you've gone through a divorce and that tackling of the ADHD and coming from two different angles and where there's, perhaps there's always going to be a disparity and there's always going to be a level of disagreement between two parents. And and I know from my perspective, I'm in a happy marriage, thankfully, but we still have disagreements on how to handle certain things and I remember right at the very beginning when before my diagnosis and when I started suspecting my daughter had ADHD I almost felt like I had to come to my husband who is not really his level of forte like you know he it's just not something that he had to deal with growing up I kind of knew a lot more about it from my family but then I'm just a lot more interested in this type of thing and I almost had to go to him as like an advocate for her to say, listen, I know you're not going to understand this because you don't really understand about ADHD in girls. And maybe I don't either, but I'm learning. But this is what I know so far. Almost like I had to present him with evidence because I was nervous that he was going to turn around and say, oh, you're imagining it. You know, of course she hasn't. Um, it's just normal. Da, da, da. I kind of predicted all the things that he might say. And actually, I was very... Um, I was actually quite surprised that he was so open accepting because it was during homeschooling and he'd noticed certain things as well while he was sitting with her and I was working. So it was like a blessing because the teachers hadn't picked it up and we both kind of noticed separately that there was she was finding it harder to concentrate and focus and to sit and to retain information um, and her emotional regulation was a little bit all over the place. And so I'm grateful that he, I didn't have to kind of go further into that like oh my goodness he's not going to believe me or he's not going to see it and we're going to have this whole problem and again with the medication that thankfully we're on the same page but at the beginning we weren't quite on the same page 
he now trusts me that I know what I'm talking about. He trusts that I'm going to have whatever she needs in her best interest. And sometimes he does hand over the reins to me. But if that's not a situation, if you're parenting together or you're now co-parenting and you don't have that level of trust, I can imagine it must be very difficult um, as an adult to just be a parent and to live without feeling that you've constantly got to keep proving things. It's just another level of pressure that on top of a busy life is hard. And maybe I want to just throw out some compassion to any listeners who are maybe experiencing that because I, I can understand that. Yeah, there's so much to unpack with what you everything you've just said, because, you know, first of all, just the fact that you're calling attention to ADHD in women, you know, we talk about how ADHD was not well diagnosed when we were growing up. But even now, it's still not well diagnosed with girls and women. Because to generalize, we tend to have the inattentive type, right? Of course, it's not across the board 100%. But tendencies are that girls and women tend to have the inattentive type of ADHD, which means we're not going to be calling a lot of attention to ourselves, a hyperactivity, and we're, you know, usually just quietly letting our minds wander in the back of class and no one's noticing us. So as you enter adulthood, you may never have gotten your diagnosis and you just think, there's something strange about me. Like, I don't feel like I belong. I have all of these character flaws. I'm messy. I'm disorganized. I'm really forgetful. It's, you know, hard for me to pay attention sometimes. I miss important cues. I don't know why. And you just think it's your character. So to get to a place where you understand, like, it's not my character. My brain works differently. And I could have had so much more support growing up that I didn't get. And look at how far I've come without all of that support. Like That's pretty amazing. So A, you're absolutely to give yourself compassion and acknowledgement for the fact that things were hard and you didn't get support. And there's oftentimes still a struggle, but none of it is a character flaw. And that the understanding that you're, if you have daughters with inattentive ADHD, that they may be going through the same thing. And that what really gets impacted in the end is our self-esteem and to try to bolster that up as much as possible. Um, So that's the first thing about women in ADHD. But then secondly, you're, you are, you're right. You're so fortunate that you and your husband are able to, to come together around a lot of things and that he trusted you and, and acknowledge that you know what you're talking about in this realm and he's willing to take your lead. But not everyone has that for sure. In a really crazy kind of way, sometimes it's actually easier if there's a divorce that happens. Um, and I know that, of course, it's it's probably only easier in this one tiny sliver of a way, but that is that now you can parent the way that you feel is correct for your child within your own home. Um, And unfortunately, it means you have zero control over how your child is parented in the other home. And hopefully, if the separated couple um, understand that they should parent together for their child's best interest, hopefully they will do that. But it's not always the case, right? There was a reason that the 
couple separated, there's typically conflict and they don't want to do anything together for that matter. And, and it becomes a lot more about them and their needs and less about their child's needs. So if you have a child with ADHD, who's going back and forth across two homes, you've suddenly just doubled their struggle. Now they have two sets of things they have to keep track of, maybe two different bedtimes, two different discipline and rules. And, um, and it's a lot for their little brains to keep track of. And so suddenly you might be seeing secondary mental health issues like anxiety and depression because it's a lot and they're grieving the fact that their family looks different now. So that can be, you know, a lot for the child. Absolutely. And um, I've got some friends who are very much in that place with ADHD and it is very tricky. And I know that you are, are you writing a book at the moment on divorce and children? Is that for children or is it for parents? The book is for parents. It's called Divorce and the ADHD Autistic Anxious Child. Um, And so specifically uh, what it does is take you through what in, in this country is called a parenting plan. It's something that you would submit to the family courts during a divorce that outlines the custody situation, but in this case goes into a much greater depth around uh, topics, not just the custody schedule, but things like religion and you know when do we allow them to get a driver's license and schooling, education, after-school activities, healthcare, everything surrounding parenting, Um, and how to move forward acknowledging that these decisions are going to be have to be made across two homes. And so uh, what I do is take each of those topics and talk about how the child with ADHD, autism, or anxiety might be impacted by that topic. What are their unique needs within that topic and how can parents come together to address those needs across two homes? so that their child's symptoms aren't made worse. That sounds like such a needed and very helpful book. Um, When's that out? That should be out in February or March. Okay, fantastic. And you've got other books for children as well. I love, I I just was looking on your website and you've just, obviously your imagination is incredible. And- (laughs) Total um, rookie. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it because I think, you know, for us as adults, it's quite hard to understand the ADHD brain. But also, you know, if we want to bring our kids up understanding that it's not a character flaw, like it is just the way our brains work and them understanding that instead of going against, I mean, let's think as adults, you know, especially when we're diagnosed late on, the whole of our lives we've gone against our brain. It's like we should be doing better. We should be, you know, having tidier houses homes we should be doing everything in a different way when actually it's just like let's just drop all that resistance and just kind of be like you know what this is our brain and sometimes it's a bit crazy and sometimes it's a bit creative and but most of the time you know it can be amazing and we just need to learn to work together I guess and like with a partnership that's how I kind of speak to my daughter it's just like play to your strengths and everyone's got weaknesses Let's just try not to focus on them and see if there's a way around those. But let's just kind of be like embrace all the the great stuff of ADHD. And, you know, I'm not it's not like a toxic positivity and glossing over all the, you know, the rubbish stuff. But it's just allowing them to understand that this is the way our brains are always going to be. You know, they 
that's just the way it is. Yes. And I, I love that's what your books um, embrace. Yes, 100%. In fact, that's the, the second book, um, My Wandering Dreaming Mind, is specifically for people with inattentive ADHD. And in this case, it, the, the main character is a girl um, who goes through her day, uh, you know, showing us all of the ways that her inattentive brain causes problems for her. Um, and she feels terrible. Uh, and, and then it, with the help of her parents, she can see that, yes, you are inattentive, but you're also really curious. And yes, you know, you might sometimes blurt out something inappropriate, but you take risks. So it's highlighting the, it isn't this toxic positivity. And I, I kind of take issue with people calling ADHD a superpower. I understand where they're coming from. Um, and I can get behind that, but um, I do think it glosses over the the difficulty and the level of impairment that ADHD can cause for people and almost dismisses it. But it also doesn't mean that there aren't a whole host of amazing things that people with ADHD can do. And that oftentimes um, our minds are expansive and creative and in a way that maybe is because of the ADHD. I don't know, but, um, but they are all of those wonderful things too. Yeah. I love that you've got so much to offer for parents and for children, you know, with your writing, how can people find you if anybody wants to work with you, where, where's the best place to, to direct people to? So the books they can find on Amazon. Um, me, um, I have two different websites, mariamsaunders.com and mariamsbooks.com. Um, and people can find me there. Fantastic. And do you work online or do you, is it only face-to-face? How does it work if people wanted to work with you? Right now it's primarily online. Yes. Miriam, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. It's really great to be able to unpack this kind of conversation because, you know what, talking about divorce and ADHD and parenting, you know, doesn't crop up in day-to-day conversations. And sometimes it's hard to find people who understand what you're going through on a day-to-day life. And I really hope that this um, conversation has been helpful for the listeners because, anything that we can do to shed a bit of light and awareness and also to just normality that this is just day-to-day life and you know we're going to have good days and we're going to have bad days but it's very much for me what's helped is that knowing that there's just an ebb and a flow and we're going to have a day where it's just everything's just going to hit the fan and I'm going to go to bed I'm going to be like oh my god I'm the worst parent I'm going to try and wake up the next morning and like, right, we're going to start afresh. And I love what you said at the beginning when you said that we have this optimism. And I do have this optimism. I have this optimism that we just have to keep going and, and that resilience that we just have to keep trying and doing the best for ourselves and, and for our children and hoping that whatever positive things that can come out of this, we can model to our to our children and they can have maybe an easier life growing up and an easier life moving forwards with ADHD, the more the awareness and these conversations happen. So thank you so much. That's really well said. Thank you for uh, inviting me today. I had a lot of fun. So that's today's episode done. Did what we talk about resonate with you? I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. 
And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time.